This is what the war in Vietnam is all about. There's little doubt that American firepower can win a military victory here. Welcome to episode four of Beyond the Crown, the Queen without a festival. Annette Barker had one of those sliding door moments. She was destined to be an accountant. However, a tragic car accident shifted her focus. And in 1965, Annette was crowned the last Apple Blossom Festival Queen. But she found herself a queen without a festival. With her first husband and his band, she met many Australian and international music greats on tour in the 1960s. Later, she married Peter O'Reilly and is now the queen of birdwatching in Lamington National Park. In this episode, it's rock and roll, rainforests, and how Annette made a cameo appearance in the blockbuster film Muriel's Wedding. Welcome, Annette. Tell us a little bit about what happened in 1965. Oh, 1965, I was working at Clark's Fashion Centre and uh, my bosses, uh, Joan and Chas Clark, um, asked me would I represent um, Clark's Fashion Centre as Miss Fashion for the Apple Blossom uh, Queen competition. And I happily agreed to it. I was very proud to be asked. Now, it was Eat an Apple Week. Can you just give us a bit of background about why there wasn't an Apple Blossom Festival or even the Apple and Grape Harvest Festival that year? Well, it was Apple Blossom because I guess they everyone thought it was pretty seeing all the blossoms, but the fact behind it was you can't make money from blossoms and uh, I think they decided every year was a little bit uh, harsh. They needed, you know, more time in between. They changed it to Apple and Grape Festival every second year, so... I think for a small community, as Stanthorpe was at the time, and it is growing, of course, every year, it has proven to be be a winner because visitors can buy products while they're there, such as apples and grapes. So you were quite the transition year, weren't you, in between going from blossoms to a harvest, which is typically from January on for the early apples. Um, So we've got a queen of an apple blossom. I'm going to say festival but you didn't actually have a festival. It was Eat an Apple Week. But tell us a little bit about some of the things that you did. I'm, I'm intrigued by the fashion regatta because you were Miss Fashion. It was sponsored, you, you were sponsored by Clark's Fashions as well. How did this regatta work at Storm King Dam? Well, they had, um, you know, quite a few water products there. I think they're having, you know, uh, rescues and that type of thing and demonstrations of, you know, re- rescuing people and reviving them, etc. And... Uh, and there was boats, boat races out on there. We had water in Storm King Dam that year and it's yes. been rather dry in the few years since. But uh, yeah. they had an enormous semi-truck out there and the girls were, you know, uh, climbed up the stairs and one at a time and we walked the length of that truck and just modelled the outfit we had on for the day and were introduced to, to the crowd as the uh, contestants for the Queen competition. So I've seen some of the photos you're literally on the back of a big semi-trailer, aren't you, as you catwalk? Yes. And yes. you're with the dam as, I was going to say your backdrop, but also sort of the foredrop, if that's even a thing. Yeah, it was sort of um, the side of memory. Yeah. 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 And 
how did you get changed? Where did that action happen? As each, we, you know, we only just wore whatever street dress we had. That's what we wore for the day, and uh, yep. it was just in ordinary our own choosing of our clothes. And then that was certainly different to the day they had uh, the actual competition where we had a change of clothes and we had, you know, the questions and the interviews and everything like that. And then we had a break for a couple of hours and we were able to put our um, our finery on for the uh, competition that night and uh, we fronted back at 7.30 and then, uh, yes, the proceedings started from there and I was crowned queen. It's lovely. Very exciting. You're a woman of many talents. So you were working at Clark's Fashions. So you were quite, you were doing alterations, you were a seamstress, but yes. you were also a farmer come orchardist as well. I want to go back a year because I want to mm-hmm. zoom in on Annette the farmer. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the events that happened in 64 for you and your family. Well, I actually went to Toowoomba for, an, uh, I was working at Woolworths when I'd finished school and um, just filling in time and I'd gone for an interview uh, with the building company in Toowoomba and I nailed that job. And on the way home, uh, a McWilliams wine traveller, so I think he must have been had too much wine because he cleaned us up and the steering wheel of our Holden was coming up straight out of the floor. My dad copped a lot of injuries. Mum had the, yeah. um, the divided windscreen in that Holden with the metal down the middle and she copped that right down her face and had terrible injuries. And... Uh, and I know my knee went into the corner of the letter of the glove box, but I had ended up with two broken wrists and a dislocated thumb. And, yeah, uh, yeah so I was a bit laid up after that for a while. We lost Dad the n- next day after the accident. We all went to the Warwick Hospital, but Mum was sent to the Princess Alexandra Hospital and she was yep. in rehab there for quite a while. Now, you, so, were, you were the oldest kid too, weren't you, in your family? No, no I was the middle Middle of ah, five. The middle child. <laughs> older sister that was a teacher in Toowoomba and when I got this job I was going to be able to board with her and they they um, wanted me to, tra- you know, train as an accountant. They needed an accountant and I would go to yeah. TAFE at night and uh, work there through the day. And uh, so all that fell apart and she ended up having to get a transfer back to Amen State School, which she didn't like because she just loved the school she had in Toowoomba and came back yeah. home, you know, and uh, helped run the farm. But that was, you know, quite a bit later. But uh, earlier on when my plaster came off, I was back to work at Clark's Fashion Centre and I'd go home in the afternoon and we had a chat there. We'd come every day and most days and pick the fruit and, and pack it and then I would load it on the ute when i come home after work and then take off for Warwick and deliver it to a fruit shop in, in Warwick. So I had yeah, a rather long day. Mm. Yes. So I do yeah. apologise that I thought you were the eldest. I think you were the eldest at home at the time of that horrific accident. Yes, so I was. There was a real rallying of the family, wasn't there, to just yeah. Yeah. how do we keep everything going? Yeah. But and my next eldest sister was due to have a baby. So that was their baby yep. was born in early August and this was June. Yeah, so it was a bit awkward for them. They lived out on the property as well. So they weren't yep. handy to come in and help. So there's a lot of things happening in 1964 for your family. Mm. You're also, you're, you're a family of firsts with um, what you were growing on the farm. Tell us a little bit about what produce you were growing. We did have um, um, all the stone fruit, 
but we also had ground crops, peas, beans and uh, tomatoes. And then my dad was the first to ha- grow tomatoes or, as trellis tomatoes. And yep. I remember him putting all the posts in and the fence up and training these tomatoes along the vines. And, and uh, yeah, it was beautiful tomatoes and it was a great way to grow them because they were off the ground. So if it was wet at any time, they didn't have the effects of too much water and so much sun on them. They're just beautifully flavoured tomatoes. And at risk of sounding a little bit north versus south, and Ballandine, tomatoes are relatively new and there's just so many now, even on my road. It's so interesting for me to hear that, you know, since the 60s, tomatoes have been a part of um, the crops to do with um, Mm. the granite belt. And I think that's really interesting. Not only with tomatoes, you grew apples as well as stone fruit. What varieties of apples were you growing? Oh, we had Gravenstein, Red Delicious and Granny Smith apples. Yeah, nice. Fantastic. Now, this year is a bit of an interesting year to you. We've talked a little bit about Storm King Dam, the regattas and what you went through as an entrant. We're going to come back to that too. But your stepdaughter, Karma O'Reilly, she's an entrant for 2022's Apple and Grape Harvest Festival. What sort of advice or top tips have you passed on to her about what you went through? Well, um, I've just said to her, I, I, I just enjoyed it and same with, with her. I said, make sure you enjoy it and uh, and she's very active um, in the community up there as well. I don't know how she's um, getting around to do everything. It's her gap year before she goes to uni next year but uh, she's been doing a lot of fundraising in the street stalls and so forth in the street. So, uh, yeah, no, she's, she's a great kid. Yeah, really good. And you've also been showing her a lot of your memorabilia and I know you've got to show us, even though it's virtual, I can't get my literal hands on it. Can I see your Miss Fashion sash? Miss Fashion. How appropriate because that was Clark's Fashions who were your, like your sponsor really, weren't they? Yes, Clark's Fashion Centre. Yes, it it was the main um, place to go, shop to go in Stanthorpe for um, women's clothing particularly, and uh, we had the men's store right next door to us, so they were both side by side. It was quite a unique situation. Oh, yes. So you're not only farmer Annette, but also you were seamstress. You were doing a lot of alterations and sewing as part of, you know, your role working with Clark's. Did you get your gown from Clark's? I feel like that should have been something that happened. Yes, they they actually provided me with the gown. I had a fitting um, and it was perfect when, you know, it was just normal size that came uh, and can't remember a lot about it. But, um, yes, I was provided with the gown and, of course, you had the long gloves and all of that type of thing. And yes. And can we just pause a bit? I mean, we're beyond the crown. We're going to check out your sash in a second. Yes. You had a huge crown that you were crowned as queen. Do you remember much about the crown? Um. That was the crown they must have used for each queen because I was given a little tiara to keep and that one went back into, I don't know, where it's gone to now. I I haven't followed that up. That's something I wanted to ask you because I thought it would all be about the crowns. When I started my research, it's like these, these huge, stonking, bespoke crowns made out of lots of, you know, often paste jewelry or and they were hand done. But actually, it's all about the sash. No one's ever kept their crowns. Everyone's kept their sash. So before I ask you a question, I'd say let's hold up your winning sash as the apple blossom queen, the last apple blossom queen. 
Because it's lost in the black and white photo, the gorgeous gold and blue, isn't it? Yes, very nice. And does it have the year on it as well at the end? No, it doesn't. What are the what colours the frills on yours? Gold or blue? Gold. Oh yeah, it does. You're nineteen sixty five. It's got the year on the end. It has. All oh, right. And in your photo that you were sharing with us, was it a cream colour or was it actually coloured? The gown. Yeah. It was pink. Pale pink. Oh, pale pink. So like yeah. baby pink? Yes. Yes. That's actually interesting how colourful your ensemble would have been, but we lose that with the black and white photography, don't we? Hmm. Did you have matching gloves and shoes? Was it all baby pink? Um, white gloves and white shoes. What do you recall for your interview? So you were hinting earlier there was this interview, there was a lot of costume changes as well in between all your outfits. But the panel asked you quite a few questions. What do you recall from that interview that you were asked? Well, one of the most topical ones was the um, decimal currency that was coming in. Of course. The next yeah. year. So that was, yeah, you know, a few of the different coins and how they were doing rounding and that type of thing. That, that was quite interesting. And oh, just a few um, questions, you know, what, what I did and, uh, you know, our, our orchard and um, the ground crops we grew and just general questions. Were you asked any questions about the transition to an apple and grape harvest festival? No, no. That, I think they were just concerned with keeping everything together for the apple and uh, for the apple blossom. And I hadn't really yeah. heard about apple and grape at that time. No. Yeah, and I think been. it was perhaps they were still in formation too because it really was quite an interesting transition from October 65 uh, yes. through to March 1966. So there was not, yes. you were a reigning queen for half a year in that transition period. So in your interview, a lot about decimal currency, did you have to do any conversions as some of your questions? Was there a bit of a pop quiz? Um, yeah, well, particularly, you know, like the shilling, it was, you know, like that was, it was odd to the dollar that was only going to be like 10 shillings and this was 12 shillings. So they had a bit of rounding up and down on that. But, yeah, not, not a lot on that, but it was just sort of general questions around the area, you know, where I went to school and, and uh, yeah, just to probably get to know you a little bit better and to see yep. how you handled yourself. So the questions um, didn't didn't last all that long. Um, yeah, so... Uh, we, we, the day started actually at 12 o'clock, we arrived with the judges and then 12 till 1, lunch for the judges and the, uh, the, the, the queens and so the prospective queens and assembly. At 1.40, queen contestants, judges and we um, uh, at the, one of the hotels and, uh, and then two o'clock. 2.25, they commenced judging. That was, you know, asking questions and uh, one by one with general knowledge and that type of thing. Four o'clock, uh, at the close of judging um, and then afternoon tea at the uh, Garden Hotel and then 6.30, um, the broadcast judges and, and queens. Um, at 4WK, I think we were interviewed at... Uh, yes. Clear yes. points. Yeah, and then uh, and it was uh, six forty-five to seven thirty-five free 
for the judges and the queens. And then 7.30 assembly in uh, the Garden Hotel with um, the official uh, judges and, and the queens. And 8.05, the official party seated at the ball, queen, and and the final judging uh, commences and they announced, they announced the winner at 8.45. That's a that huge was, day, isn't it? It was, yes. It, well, it went for quite a while. So the school good, yes, but I didn't have, uh, you know, my mum and dad, of course. Yes, that's the thing I really, really missed. I thought, well, they've got this nice achievement now and uh, my mum was still in rehab. Uh, well, she'd come yeah. out from rehab, but she wasn't very well. And yeah. uh, just my family support, my cousins and quite a few of them, them in Stanthorpe and and my sisters there came along to the ball as well. Yeah. Did your mum get to hear you on 4WK? No, no, oh, I don't oh, think so. That would have no. been good, wouldn't it? There's a few yes. who got to hear announcements via the radio in the 50s and I think that would have been gorgeous, you know, my celebrity yeah. daughter or sister on the radio. <laughs> One of the no. lovely things is um, that uh, the 1965 entrance, they did a trip to Brisbane. So you weren't run- raising money for like the fundraising efforts before because this was a, a different year going to be yes. tra- transition between different festivals. But tell us mm. a bit about that trip to Brisbane because you did a, a few visits um, and it was about promoting eating apples but yes, you also we, got uh, to do some community work so tell us a bit about that. We were taken by all the Queens by, by bus to, to Brisbane with the with apples on board and uh, we um, had you know a few of the ladies as hostesses for us on that coach. We stayed the night in Brisbane but we went to quite a few as known at the time the spastic centres and uh, yes. we were now taking cerebral palsy. Yeah. Yes and we're hanging yep. out apples and they were nice red delicious apples too and it was you know a little bit um heartbreaking when you're trying to give a child an apple but they didn't have the ability to hold it so you sort of had to put it in their lap make sure that it didn't drop and uh but it but we were so well received anyhow we felt that uh, you know it was really worthwhile going around i think that's amazing too that you, you know you're three hours down the road two and a half to three hours down the road and yet Queen Entrance back in the day would make these trips to the Big Smoke to go visit yes. the kids. And yes. I think that's incredible. And it sounds yes. like it was an incredible experience for you too. It was, yes. Mm. I think it might have been the first time I'd eaten oysters at dinner that night in my life. <laughs> that's a, that's got to be I'm a bit adventurous. That's all right. In those <laughs> days, nobody ate them. And, look, you've hinted at being adventurous you're, you were a bit rock and roll. Um, your first marriage, you were meeting some big names and seeing some big names uh, yes. up on stage in rural and regional centres. And that really doesn't come, you know, that really doesn't happen much these days. Most bands now will just play the big cities. Tell yes. us about your, your rock and roll husband uh, well, and the lifestyle you guys had. Well, he, uh, he had a day job, of course. He started the division of uh, Malcolm Press Control in Toowoomba and he was the first operator on and would work the whole week. But then mostly Friday and Saturday night they'd play at the band they called The Bowman would play at Lennon's and they would be um, doing their show and then they'd have a guest artist. It could be Johnny O'Keefe or, um, yeah, any, any number of, of um, artists that were around, Jade Hurley, Dinah Lee and... 
Kamal. I was expecting my first child when we did the concert with Kamal and his pianist. They were just lovely people. And they said, oh, I wish you all the best. I hope you have a very healthy baby. And so I would have practice in the afternoon. I'd go down at 5.30 and then I'd drop him off and go home and get organised and come back later for the night. But some of the shows they did were tremendous, such as the Platters from America. I did. Yep. I went to three nights in a row for those at Lennon's Hotel and the hair would stand up in the back of me every time they started singing Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. It was just a fabulous concert. They would um, do a show, um, not all, not particularly, but Johnny O'Keefe, they'd do a show at Lennon's in Toowoomba and then at the end there they would take off for Dolby and get out to the commercial hotel and he would do a session out there as well. It's a big night. Yeah. That's how it was in the days and... It's all about earning money and enjoying the music. And, uh, yes, they, they did go professional after a while. Um, he changed bands and he was in Peter Wright Revival and uh, they were at the Gold Coast for a while. And, uh, yes, it was, um, yeah, very exciting. That, But he decided in the end that he'd settle dancing. We had our first band and uh, stay with the pest control in Toowoomba. And it's a bit hectic lifestyle coming you're on a high when you come home, you know, at 11 or 12 o'clock at night and uh, it's a bit hard to sort of settle down and go to sleep and, and yeah. I could understand how he was. And, uh, yes, it just started interfering. He was doing other things with his life. So lots of different things happen in my life. I did star in Muriel's wedding. It's actually by accident. Um, the <laughs> by <film> accident? <laughs> well. How does one star on Muriel's wedding? I was just in the accident. right place at the right time. Put it that way. I love it. But Tell I was working. It. I was working for a local manufacturer of ladies, mainly top skirts, you know, like things like that. And and I worked only a couple of days a week. We shared the week. A couple of girls and they said, "Oh, we've got um, the shops being taken over today for filming for Muriel's wedding." And I said, "Oh, okay." So we moved all of our stock right to the back of the shop and. Uh, had these guys coming in and out and where can we go and get some chill to go around the walls to make it look soft and so I'd tell them where they could find all of those fabrics and and then the models, the the um, uh, shop models came in, you know, the, the, they were rather scary looking, weird hairdos and everything else and I had to dress all them and some of the clothes, the, the outfits, <laughs> they had a few marks here and there but I suppose they'd been used a few times and they... Um, uh, they come up looking pretty good on TV and after a while uh, we had one of those shops that when you opened the doors at the front they slid back and, and closed the, the window part in to make a little box either side and and it was closed almost back. Luckily I was pretty slim at the time and he said, oh, and we forgot to put the wedding, the veil on the bride in the window. Can you come and put that on? So got in the window and put that on and just crept back out again and they had all the signs out the front like, you know, suit hire and made it look so good that when I did go over to the newsagent to buy the paper and the chap said to me, oh, see that shop over there is going to be a bridal shop now. <laughs> I said, that's where I've come from. It's for Muriel's wedding. And, and the tracks were all coming up the street at the time for rolling the cameras on. And um, Yeah, wow. I'm just sitting up the back minding my own business and then um, one of the guys came up and said, oh, Annette, can you come and put the veil on the bride here? And I looked out and the lady that had come from Brisbane to be the hostess of the shop, she was out in the street. She had a white sort of pants, short pants suit on. I thought, oh, I don't know, I would have worn that. But I just had standard pair of slacks and a top from 
you know, I always wore what was in the shop. We, you know, we were given a pretty good discount to buy the clothes there and it's good advertising. So uh, I just rolled into work with that on and said, come here. And so I was down there and they got umbrellas, silver umbrellas up to make the light better and, and this lady said to me, here, can you sign this? And I had to give clearance that I could do it actually and I got paid for it. Check Fantastic. In yes, and, and, and I just had to Where were you that, working? Uh, where was the shop at the time? It was at Coolangatta. Uh, yep. And it was called Casual Girl. Yeah, at Coolangatta. Just, uh, yeah. Mainly, oh, it's right in the centre of the town there. And it went, yes, it's completely changed down there now. You wouldn't know where the shop was. But we were there, you know, for quite a few years, actually. And, and I was there working in that shop when I'd lost my husband. Um, and... Uh, I know quite of my friends from school would come in and it was lovely that they'd come in and just see how I was getting on. So I said, well, oh, that's lovely. life goes yeah. on. You've just got to keep looking ahead. Yeah. You can't keep looking back. And that was going to be the second part of our interview about, you know, your second chance at love and meeting your second husband. And now a lot of people are looking at your name, Annette O'Reilly. You're at the Gold Coast. We're talking about the O'Reilly's of the Gold Coast. Yes. It's, a, it's a family that's everyone knows I think, in southeast Queensland hmm. because of the yeah. O'Reilly's Rainforest Resort. Hmm. Tell us about hmm. meeting your second husband. Well, I had a nice bit of a story. I had an old friend uh, that I met up. Uh, she's a retired doctor and she had family overseas, a daughter in Vancouver and a son in Palo Alto. He was high up in Stanford University and uh, he was uh, teaching at a top girls' school in Vancouver. So... I got friendly with her and I was they used to say I was their adopted sister because I often spent time with Marjorie. She was a great bird watcher. So she'd often say to me, Oh dear, you've got to come up to O'Reilly's Bird Week in November, about the first week in November. And I said, Oh look, hey, I can't afford it. My husband's away a bit and I've got two young boys. But a few years passed and finally Mark, my youngest, was in year seven, I think, and I said, Right, I'll make a go at this. So I phoned up to book in and uh, my two sisters decided they'd come too. So they never had three sisters there before, which was quite a funny thing. And and that was 1987 was my first time ever to go up to O'Reilly's. And I took Marjorie with me. So I was giving her a ride up because she wasn't driving that much then. And uh, yes, through the years, and I think it was in the 80s that uh, Peter asked me, would I, you know, be a leader? And of course, a lot of the ladies on the group said, oh, this is so good. We've got a, a lady amongst us. You know, you're out in the bush. Sometimes you need a toilet stop and the men will back back and let them go ahead and things like that, you know, which made it nicer for them. And uh, yep. long days sometimes, out all day walking, like 14 k's, that type of thing, and we managed that. And so I did that for, you know, a few years. And then I lost, you know, after I lost my husband, um, then two years later, Karma got really sick. That's Peter's wife, and she was an absolute great hostess up there in the dining room. And I didn't know her as well as Peter because I was, you know, doing birding and she was off playing golf most of the time and when she wasn't working up there. She had, uh, uh, yes, a lot, of, lot to do with the guest house, that's for sure. And, uh, and then she actually got severe cancer. They didn't know what it was for a while and uh, finally they got the word that was, yeah, very, very, you know, a bad cancer that she had. She only knew for oh, about wow. a few months and she died on the 12th of September 96. So that was two years after I, you know, lost my husband and, and I realised Peter, he was used to doing the outdoors work at O'Reilly, such as killing the beasts, milking the cows, cutting the wood with the chainsaws and things and uh, he wasn't 
too much into the housework and that type of thing. So him and Karma had built a house down in the Kerry Valley and moved there. You know, they were intending retiring and she wanted to play golf more. And uh, so they had one of the local ladies come up and look after the house and do all that. So um, the long shot of that was after, you know, Karma died and, and Peter, I knew he wasn't managing very well at all and he was sort of down at the valley and then he'd go up a little bit up top and he seemed to be a bit lost. But he had a unit at the coast here and I said to him one time, um, we at the Gold Coast group are coming out birding um, at Tamrookam. Would you like to... Uh, come along and meet us over at the hall there. I'll make some lunch and, and we did that, you know, a few times that we were in the valley and he enjoyed coming out with the group as well. And then he said, oh, he's coming down the coast another time for sort of an appointment. I said, oh, well, come up, I'll cook dinner for you. And he said, okay. So I arrived up there and I know he loves Silverside, so I just put the pot on and he said, oh, turn that off, we'll go out for dinner. And we went to a really nice Italian restaurant. We're sitting there and... Uh, and after a while we talked, he said, oh, I'm too old for you. And I thought, what are you talking about? I'm thinking we're just friends, you know, like this is just having dinner. I was going to cook it, but now you've taken me out. But anyhow, I think he, he sort of felt there was something more to it. And it wasn't until <laughs> after we did get married and the kids, his kids and mine were very happy about the whole situation, although there's 13 years difference in our age. But, you know, he's had a lot to do with younger staff up there and quite there was one in particular she'd ring him up and give him a report what was happening you know in her activities you know taking the walks out and that type of thing and kept him in the loop but uh anyhow it was about two years after we married he said you know what when Carmel was in sick and sick really sick in hospital and dying she said to me she was so worried about me on my own she said perhaps you should marry Annette Walton Oh. And I didn't know that at all until <laughs> then. But it was very nice to hear. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, we've had some really great times together and yep. uh, quite a few burning trips around the way and got his OAM, whatever year it was now. And actually, my suggestion when my few years, first few years I was out there, I said to Peter, I think you should write uh, a book about your experiences up on the mountain because. Uh, Karma had died and then Vince had died in 1999 yep. and I said, if you don't tell for all the grandchildren, Vince and Lona had 10 kids and I said, no one's going to know what you've done, even your yep. kids, because they're all getting educated off the mountain where earlier Peter's kids were had a governess up there that would teach um, in the little schoolroom and then yep. come holidays they'd rent that out. Tim Fisher stayed in it, the schoolroom one year. I slept in the room with all the artwork around the walls and, he said, yeah, it was a great experience. Anyhow, Pete did write the book and I was the editor for it. And yep. uh, we launched it, yes, uh, in August 1980, 80, 2008, I mean, yeah. Yeah, and, nice. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and Tim Fisher came up and launched the book. He is absolute, was an absolute fan of O'Reilly's, just loved the walks and said, everyone should come up to O'Reilly's and do some walking. Hmm. That's great. Lovely That's what family. I noticed about O'Reilly's. You have super fans, don't you, that just adore Lamington National Park but also the location. Yes. And just in case anyone's listening thinking people remember the bushfires in 2019 that were at Lamington National Park, you were not affected, were you? No, no, because yep. our buildings and everything pretty much are 
wrapped around with rainforest and rainforest doesn't easily burn and uh, we didn't ha have any fires there at all. They stopped right down the road when we did get a yes. bit coming through in the eucalypt forest. That was yep. all, but we were unaffected, although they shut us down and all sorts of things, expecting because been a environment, they thought naturally we would too, but no, it didn't happen. Thank goodness, and that's really good Thank to hear. That. Yes. And you keep talking about bird watching. The reason why we haven't been able to talk sooner, so we've been talking technically for months now, but yes. at O'Reilly's you had a very busy November and you hinted at it earlier. You celebrated 44 years of the same bird watching group coming together for that birding yes. week. Tell us a little bit about that because I think also something special happened on the birding week as well this year. We, we've got some pretty good um, activity staff at the moment there too and uh, yes, of course we've had Glenn Trelfo, Peter employed him well over 30, probably close to 40 years ago now and he's talking retirement but we've got another young fellow there, Matt Kelly, uh, one of our activity staff and he's out and about looking all the time and, uh, and on his day off he cleared a bit of the track so they could see um, marble frogmouse and that type of thing on their spotlight tour. But, uh, they, well, they saw them, actually. Uh, it was just after Bird Week. He actually, the first, he found uh, the marble frogmouth nest with one chick. That's all they had, the one chick. Absolutely beautiful photo. And uh, so he's, he's really hit the headlines because it's never been filmed before, their marble frogmouth's nest. So that's yeah, first. Great. Yeah, so he's, uh, he's quite good at that. But, no, we had a really good week and... Uh, had a great guest speaker on the Wednesday night um, and every year we do have a guest speaker but we start the program with um, yeah, meet and greet uh, the leaders and uh, have a welcome drink and then dinner on the first night Sunday night and then uh, we do local walks uh, to introduce um, yeah, the, the guests around. Uh, of course we have Glenn, he's a great feature on the first evening when they meet the leaders. He does um, a review of birds that we have that people are likely to see and there's some stunning birds but there's these three little brown birds you know white brad scrub wren and yellow throated and and uh, the um the brown jerigony that are fairly close together so if you learn the calls yeah. of them it does help so the rest of the week follows on with lots of uh, trips out um Sometimes they, um, we go down in the valley and see the bush birds down there. It's been yeah, marvellous to think next year we've got 45 years of it. Yeah, now so. from the sea and the rainforest back to granite country, what makes Stanthorpe special as an old Stanny girl yourself? Oh, I just think, A, the people. I remember, you know, when the, some of the, the Carnells, for instance, came to my little school at Papone and uh, couldn't really speak the language very well, but they picked it up fairly quickly. And then they were excellent with the parents. And, you know, when they were doing shopping, they'd go with them and help them till they got on uh, with the language. But lovely people, the Italians. And uh, it was mostly just the fruit and the, the climate. We didn't mind a good rip-roaring frost. And, uh, yeah, and it was just the lifestyle, I think. Fresh fruit, fresh vegetables and, and a lot of lovely people around. And there was plenty of sport too. I know I played tennis quite a lot. And yes, all these things that you could do when, when you had time off the farm. Hmm. And looking ahead to the future, and I know you've got your eye on the prize, you're looking at Karma going yes. O'Reilly, your granddaughter going through to being an, uh, an entrant 
for March yes. 2022. Yes. But what do you think, as a former queen yourself, what do you think is the future for things like an apple and grape harvest festival? It really puts us on the map and it certainly helps all the local businesses. Most of the accommodation is booked out and they've had a pretty good time with COVID because people can't get out of the state. So everyone's saying, oh, we try to go to Stanford. It's certainly got a lot to offer and I can't see it going backwards at any time. It's just getting better and better all the time. And, and Karma, I'm, I think they would have come from Early Beach before. Her dad was um, CEO of, uh, you know, tourism up there and so forth. And uh, But like as, as Megan said, that's Karma's mum, he was like some nights, some weeks he'd be out every night at a function. It's really hard with family life. So uh, they've come to Stanthorpe and got into that now. They've got the, the wine college and a tourist there. So that keeps Pete busy. And uh, and they're just the family just love it out there. Yeah, they're just doing so well. Mm. Now, are you going to the gala function in March to see yes. if your granddaughter yep. gets up? Oh yes, well, that was Carm, an emphatic yes. <laughs> Carm was talking about the street, the um, the, the street parade, and she said, "Will yes. you come on the flight with flight with me and Mum Sash?" Yep, I'll be there. <laughs> yes, I'll do and, that. Um, so, Annette, I'm gonna have to say I'm really looking forward to seeing you in the near future. We've had COVID uh, interrupted one good plan to catch up, and then we had birding week, and I let you go do your O'Reilly's thing. And then I got sick. So we've been quite good at not being able to see each other in person, but I'm so glad I got to meet you via um, the internet. This is really yes. quite a COVID experience, really. This is COVID branded, I think, doing it all via, you know, all our video chats via internet. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the Gala Ball and I'll mm-hmm. be recording the final episode for Beyond the Crown at the gala function. So I'll see mm-hmm. you on the night to get the yes. intel from the 1965 Apple Blossom Queen. Right. So thank you for your rock and roll and film and mm-hmm. rainforest chat today. It's mm-hmm. been fascinating. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining mm-hmm. Beyond the Crown. Thank you for having me and uh, I'm looking forward to the March activities, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, done. I'll see you glammed up. (laughs) Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) In the next episode of Beyond the Crown, clickety-click, it's 66. In 1966, decimal currency was introduced on Valentine's Day. Protests continued over involvement in the Vietnam War and Harold Holt is elected as Prime Minister in Australia. And a brand-new festival, the Apple Harvest Festival, is born in Stanthorpe. And Jan Fryer was crowned as Miss Delicious. Jan Fryer, or as she was known as in 66, Jan Marshall, is an exception to previous queens. She was not an orchardist or from a background in agriculture at all. She was from a military family and represented Wollongarra on the border with her entry. Jan is currently researching and writing a book about the Wollongarra Army Base and its role in Australian military history. And she tells us fascinating stories about living on the state border in a tiny town. Beyond the Crown has been made possible by the Regional Arts Development Fund, RADF, and it is a partnership between the Queensland Government and the Southern Downs Regional Council to support local arts and culture in regional Queensland.